Rudyard Griffiths here, the Executive Director of The Hub. Welcome to the Friday Roundtable edition of The Hub Dialogues. Each week on this program, we dig into the big issues and ideas shaping the public conversation with Sean Spear, our Editor-at-Large, and Stuart Thompson, our Editor-in-Chief. The goal of these weekly programs is to leave you with some new analysis and insights into the week that was. The Hub's podcasts are generously supported by the Ira Gluskin and Maxine Granowski-Gluskin Charitable Foundation. Sean, Stuart, great to be in touch with you. What are we? Just days, 48 hours before Christmas. Stuart, is the shopping over, finished, finito in the Thompson household? Yeah, actually, this um, storm that we had kind of motivated me. So I got out yesterday. My wife and I, at like 8 in the morning, got out, <laughs> got all the Christmas shopping done. So it worked out in our favor, actually. Sean, you are in New York City waiting a very big present, which is the delivery <laughs> of your second child, um, astronaut about to land on planet Earth. Um, what's going on? Yeah, as you say, we're kind of hunkered down here. Um, I'm a, I'm a bit conflicted about uh, about this uh, Rudyard and Stewart. If he or she is born in early in the new year, you know, there's a lot of evidence that that gives them a, a leg up, you know, physically and intellectually and all the rest. Um, but our insurance costs uh, are are higher, uh, so I'm kind of stuck uh, debating whether it's better the baby comes in 2022 or or 2023. Uh, so that, that's basically what's going on here at the Spear Everson household. Nice. We're snowed in here in Toronto, just going to let the storm blow through. So it's kind of a nice way to put a pin in the week a bit earlier than <laughs> we might otherwise have. So this is my last official hub duty this week and, um, great to spend a little time with you. So guys, what we're going to do on today's show is a kind of year in review, um, and to Dice and Slice 2022, uh, I want to go around the horn with you on four key insights. Um, your choices for person of the year, event of the year, surprise of the year, and what you got wrong in the last 12 months. So I'm going to start with you, Stuart. Let's go to person of the year. It can't be Zelensky because <laughs> time already did that. So who is your person of the year? Yeah, I feel like on the merits, Zelensky is the obvious choice. Um, and the other obvious choice is what I went with, I think, which is Elon Musk, who, you know, he, I, I think a lot of people are treating what's going on right now with Twitter as this kind of triviality. And I think that it mostly is. Um, but it was, it's kind of strange, because, you know, we've been talking about chat GPT and artificial intelligence. And it didn't occur to me until we were a few days into talking about it, that he was also behind that. And then you think about, you know, going into space and electric cars, all those things are going to be so important in the future. And it's kind of amazing that one man can sort of be behind all of this stuff, or at least be a driving force or some kind of force in all of these different industries. Um, and not only that, he has that sort of Trumpian ability to make himself the main character. Um, and I think that is what we're seeing on Twitter is he's just very good at sort of poking and creating a reaction on one side and then creating defenders on the other side. Um, it's really kind of an art. And I think that's what made Trump such a force politically is that he just commanded attention. Uh, it wasn't always good attention. It's like when you're in grade one and they say, do you want good attention or do you want 
bad attention. I think some of these guys just don't care. And Musk is, I think, one of those guys. Yeah, great choice. Uh, I've read some really wild story about how people are dreaming about Elon Musk. So <laughs> when somebody gets into the news and they become like omnipresent, um, there's a lot of research people. There are researchers out there that have, you know, st study subjects keeping dream journals. Because <laughs> what Elon Musk has been dominating uh, the domain of Carl Jung for the last uh, <laughs> 90 days. That's a sign of $44 billion uh, well spent. Sean, who's, who's your person of the year? I'm going with uh, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis uh, for a couple of reasons. First of all, he seems to have turned Florida uh, from a state that was highly competitive. Think, for instance, how important it was as a linchpin in the, the 2000 presidential election to a state that he carried in re-election by 19 percentage points. Um, it seems to me he's reshaping uh, the political map in the United States, and, and that in and of itself would be a big deal. Um, but the second point is even more important. He seems to be charting a path of a kind of post-Trump fusion of populism and conservatism um, that I think will have uh, impact on uh, American politics, of course, in the coming years. There are signs, for instance, that he has surpassed Trump as the preference for a lot of Republican voters as we head into the 2024 presidential cycle. But more, but as importantly, um, I, I think he, he'll, we'll start to see other conservatives across the Anglo-American world sort of draw on some of DeSantis's strategies, tactics, policies. I, I, I would vote for Ron DeSantis as the most important figure uh, in 2022. Very neat. Um, well, I'm going to go around to the other side of the world and select as my person of the year, uh, Xi Jinping. I think Xi deserves um, this moniker, not because of anything good that he's doing, quite, in fact, the opposite. Um, I think his ascension to this third term as the de facto supreme leader of China, replicating only Mao Zedong in this uh, singular honor, suggests a really a fundamental shift in the Chinese regime and unfortunately possibly a permanent one whereby uh, gone is any um, real pretension on the part of China uh, for a peaceful rise. Um, I think his, his election and the extent to which we saw his kind of key cadre of hardliners appointed to the key national committees, the Politburo, all suggests, unfortunately, that China's you know, healthy competition with the rest of the world is now moving towards conflict. And uh, unfortunately, he is the man for the time. I think to that extent, he's almost an avatar symbol of a new, more aggressive, assertive China that is uh, going to be comfortable taking on the world, not just economically, technologically, but I fear over Taiwan and other issues, the potential for um, military conflict between China and the United States, um, probably at all time highs. And I think it all comes back to Xi and his brand of authoritarianism, uh, control at home, the desire to dominate abroad. This is hugely unfortunate for the people of China. They did not deserve this leader. They don't deserve the path that I think that the Middle Kingdom is now headed on. And um, 
I think we'll look back in history at Xi's election as a, a pivotal event and the pivotal person of 2022. Talking of events, let's move on and, and get your reaction to this uh, for what you think is the defining moment of 2022. Uh, Stuart, let me start with you. Is it domestic? Is it international? Um, uh, don't necessarily choose the event you think it's, has to be the most important. Maybe it's the most symbolic or the most significant to you personally. Yeah, I think at the risk of once again being predictable to people who know me, um, the World Cup was a really fascinating event. And it was fascinating in sporting terms. Um, we probably had the best final that we'll ever see. Definitely the best final that's ever happened. And it was two of the best players in the world at their very best playing each other, which kind of rarely happens in these tournaments. But there was kind of this really interesting um, subtext to the whole thing, which is that it was taking place in Qatar. And I had told myself at the beginning of the year, you know, do I want to watch this? We know there's been, you know, horrible conditions for migrant workers, deaths um, from unsafe conditions, and just sort of, you know, prevailing atmosphere of repression in the country. And I, I thought it was really interesting because I immediately folded because Canada was in the World Cup and I was really excited to watch Canada play. Um, but there was a few protests by some of the teams, the, the English team and I think the German team, a couple of teams were, were going to do um, rainbow armbands um, as sort of a protest. But then the minute that there was going to be any sanctions, FIFA said, we will give you all yellow cards if you do this, um, they backed down. And it was just one of those interesting moments where, you know, we've had a lot of this kind of online um, protest, this kind of stuff that is mostly just people in the West, generally the sort of educated professional classes talking to each other um, as if they are talking bravely. And there really is no risk in what they're doing. And it was just one of those moments when you see these teams back down in such a swift manner at like the most minor sanction you can get in soccer, which is a yellow card. Um, it might've hurt some of these teams, but if you really believe in what you're saying, surely that's not that big of a deal. Um, so I kind of, you know, I was looking at that. I, I don't want to um, not implicate myself in this either because I had, you know, some designs on boycotting the world cup. Um, I think it was just a really interesting moment for the world um, in terms of how we view our own countries and how we view um, other countries around the world um, that are different. I mean, we see a lot of dissonance between how people talk in Canada and how they see China and what's happening there. Um, I, I think it really put a harsh light on Qatar and, and also ourselves for how we reacted to it. Hey, great, uh, great insight there, Stuart. Okay, Sean, your event of the year. Yeah, I went back and forth on some different options. Um, the one I chose, uh, Rudyard and Stuart, I can't put a precise date or moment uh on it um but it seems to me it's when central bankers in the united states canada and elsewhere basically conceded that their message that inflation was transitory no longer reflected uh what was actually going on in the economy um you guys will know in fact it's something we've talked about a lot on this program um, that we, we saw a combination of extraordinary fiscal and monetary policy through the pandemic. Um, uh, and when um, the consequences of that bucked up against supply crunches uh, in the global economy, 
we saw the, the single largest increase in inflation, you know, in something approaching 40 years. And yet, even though Larry Summers, Pierre Polyev and, and others were raising concerns months and months ago uh, about this potentiality, um, think of Tiff Macklem, Jerome Powell and others essentially dismissing those concerns or claims uh, and, and advancing the, the claim or the argument that this was merely a transitory experience. I think uh, what we saw about halfway through 2022 was a concession um, that the central bankers were wrong uh, and set in motion uh, what amounts, I think, to one of the largest uh, uh, incline in terms of interest rates uh, for for decades, uh, the consequences of which uh, we're still seeing kind of manifest themselves, including expectations of of really slow global growth in 2023. Uh, but Rudyard and Stewart, I think the the most significant kind of lasting consequence uh, will be to uh, again. Uh, the kind of public's trust and confidence in elite institutions, uh, which have taken a real beating uh, over, you know, the past 10 or 20 years. And it seems to me this episode uh, is simply another case that will reaffirm the, the case or the arguments of populists and do damage to the credibility of, of uh, elite institutions in our society. Uh, and, and so for that reason, I, I'm picking uh, the admission um, that inflation wasn't ultimately transitory as the biggest event in 2022. My choice is something uh, different, but related, and that's the implosion of the cryptocurrency exchange, uh, FTX. It's, it's not simply um, just how fascinating the kind of Shakespearean drama that has unfolded around Sam Bankman-Fried and his merry band of crypto traders. Um, I do note this week, <laughs> deliciously, that he, he now has another entry in the history books for having posted the largest ever bail in the United States of a quarter of a billion dollars uh, to be sent home with an ankle bracelet to mom and dad while he awaits trial on multiple uh, federal charges. I think what's significant about FTX isn't even crypto and everything, the crazy stuff that we've seen in that space over the last 12 months. It's the effect that these higher interest rates have had in terms of exposing whole yes. swaths of our economy um, to um, the price of capital, to a price for capital. And what it, that's done is it's, it's revealed these business models that really were never business models. They were just wishes, aspirations, uh, desires, uh, you know, high-flying, uh, aggressive assumptions about technological change, whether it's crypto, cloud computing, you can go through the list, you can go through the NASDAQ or the S&P and look at all the stocks that are down 70 to 80% over the course of this year. And to me, that really suggests two things. One, they're just, really since the great financial crisis and ultra low interest rates, there's just a massive misallocation of capital in our society towards ends that now are exposed as not particularly productive, not particularly profitable, uh, not particularly sustainable as, as businesses. And I think that these higher rates, and you're right, Sean, it's the most aggressive rate hiking cycle around the world, really in, in modern history. It's exposed this and 
I hope if there's something positive out of the pain that we're all feeling in terms of debt servicing and uh, the effects on different asset prices, it's that we don't go back, uh, that we understand that a price to capital is essential, that it sends a signal. It allows us to make uh, you know, determinations about what we invest in uh, or not based on uh, a return of our capital to us at a rate of interest that is attractive versus government bonds. And when governments you know, floor their own bonds to zero effectively, to the zero bound, well, anything becomes possible. FTX becomes possible. All these different businesses. So I really, it's painful this process we're going through, but I think at the other end, we could have a much more productive economy. You're one click away from getting access to all the Hub's best analysis and insights. Visit our website, www.thehub.ca now and sign up for our weekly email news digest. Every Saturday morning, we'll send to your inbox the cutting-edge thinking and analysis of our smartest contributors on the week that was. Dive in to the big issues and ideas moving the public conversation, courtesy of The Hub. Again, you can grab that exclusive email newsletter right now, free of charge, at www.thehub.ca. Now back to our program. Okay, let's go to surprise of the year. Stuart, uh, if you had to pick one thing that kind of caused your jaw to drop to the floor in the last 12 months, what was it? Yeah, there is some recency bias to what I'm about to say, but it is something I've been thinking about a lot. And it's not, it's one of those things that really shouldn't have been a surprise to me. And if I thought about it a little bit, I, I probably wouldn't have been surprised. But the collapse of the NDP vote in the Mississauga Lakeshore by election, um, you could view that as a single writing um, that may not be representative. But um, when you start to think about it and you start to think, about all the other things that happened this year, the perception of Jagmeet Singh, the perception of the party, their increasingly small window of voters that seem to be the, the kind of people that would appeal, that the NDP would appeal to. Um, and then you have a polarizing conservative leader like Pierre Polyev, um, which that polarization, I think, may even be a bigger problem for the NDP than it will be for the conservatives because it's going to make people on the left go towards the liberals. And when I saw that number a couple of weeks ago, um, you know, it just makes you wonder where the NDP even can go from here. Um, and then it makes you wonder how the conservatives win. Um, I mean, you could say majority, but even a solid minority becomes really hard in that environment. So um, that is something that's staying with me. Uh, I'm sure lots of other things through the year surprised me more, but that is a surprise that I think I'll be thinking about January, February, March, and uh, onward next year. Nice. Okay, Sean, what's uh, what surprised you in 2022? I, I, I think my pick is uh, Canada's place in international news and not for good reasons. You know, two major episodes in Canada uh, attracted uh, global attention. The, the first, of course, was the trucker protests uh, early in 2022, including uh, including ultimately the government's invocation of the Emergencies Act, the use of pretty extraordinary policing tactics like freezing the accounts of some of the people 
participating uh, in the protests. Uh, this was an issue that went global. Uh, we had major media outlets from around the world in Ottawa uh, reporting on the protests as well as the government's response. Um, and, you know, I would not have guessed early in 2022 that of all of the potential protests related to government overreach on the pandemic, um, that Canada would be at the heart uh, of those developments. And the, the second is uh, something that we've uh, covered a bit at the Hub, maybe something worth covering more in 2023, and that is the extraordinary reaction uh, to uh, uh, on potential reforms to Canada's uh, medical assistance in dying legislation. Uh, listeners will probably know that in the aftermath of a Supreme Court decision, I guess dating back in 2015, uh, the Trudeau government enacted a regime to, in effect, kind of uh, legalize or formalize a process uh, whereby people can make uh, a claim to uh, medical assistance in dying. This year, uh, that debate really took on a new um, color uh, as the government contemplated effectively liberalizing that regime, it's extending it uh, more broadly, including to issues around mental health and even um, um, minors. Uh, that generated a ton of attention again uh, in the United States, the UK, and elsewhere as, as the, or their, these own, their own governments sort of contemplate similar measures. So uh, Canada was in the, the international news uh, more than and it often is, um, but not for particularly good reasons. And, it, you know, for that, I, I think that's probably my biggest surprise in 2022. Cool. Um, I'm going to continue on an economic theme and just talk about the surprise uh, resiliency of the Canadian and U.S. Uh, economy in the face of, you know, these extraordinary rate hikes uh, to fight inflation. In fact, we just this week had, um, you know, positive GDP numbers out of the U.S. for the latest quarter. I think um, certainly surprising me, and it it makes me realize that I have to rethink a little bit what, in fact, inflation means. Because I think we often, understandably, have a really negative connotation. We don't like it. Uh, it makes us kind of economically pessimistic, at least in surveys. But inflation is, in a sense, a problem of supply on the basis that there's too much demand. It, it, it's, it's a symptom of an economy that is hot or in the parlance of these central banks that's overheating. So I'm, I'm really trying to figure out what next year is gonna bring. And I'm, you know, there's a big debate, are we headed towards a recession? Um, certainly a lot of people feel that way in Canada because of our debt load and our housing sector. But I don't know what your guys, what your experience has been, but you know, the restaurants are full here in Toronto. The, stores were hopping. Um, I just don't feel, I, I feel the vibe of an economy that's still strong. That's still possibly, um, you know, going to limp into uh, longer in 2023 before some kind of correction of does inevitably come upon us. And I think that suggests to me that the fight against inflation is going to be a longer one in 2023, that this is not just going to miraculously disappear um so i'm i'm torn on that and i expect i'll be continued to uh be surprised about how and what and where uh, canada's economic uh, future plays out 
and the strength of the economy uh, over the months to come. Okay, let's go to our final topic, which, you know, a little humility year bend, I think is always good. We're kind of in the prognostication business to some extent at the hub. That's a lot of reason people come to us to read, to listen, to learn, is to kind of think about the future. And we've been pretty confident <laughs> at times of spelling out what that future might look like. So Sean, let me come to you first. And if you had to pick one thing that you maybe had a high conviction about in 2022 that just completely went the opposite way, what would it be? I, I think it has to be uh, Jason Kenney's departure from Canadian politics. Um, you know, I've been uh, pretty high on Jason Kenney um, really since I, I met him, you know, more than a decade ago in Ottawa. I thought his government in Alberta was advancing a pretty innovative and exciting policy agenda on a range of topics from economic and fiscal policy, healthcare, education, interprovincial trade, um, you know, kind of interesting innovation with respect to substance abuse and the opioid crisis. You know, for all of these reasons, I saw Kenny's government in Alberta as, um, you know, something of a model for center-right governments across the country to kind of emulate and Guys, if you would have if you would have offered me a bet at the beginning of 2022 that by the end of the year Jason Kenney would be retired from Canadian politics and Doug Ford in Ontario would have a larger majority than he started the year with, I would have bet you know virtually all of all of my assets, everything I have. Um, and had I done that, I would have been out on the street. Um, so I, I think for that reason, it, that's my biggest not just my biggest surprise, but my my, my biggest kind of category error in terms of analyzing Canadian policy and politics in 2023. Nice. I love the humility coming through the mics today. Uh, Stuart, what, what did you get spectacularly wrong in 2022? Yeah, I think one of the benefits, I wrote about this for us actually, because one of the benefits of being an editor is that your opinions don't always make it out into the public. And you can just be sort of spectacularly wrong uh, to a few close friends. But I think the big thing for me was definitely my expectations of the Russian invasion of Ukraine. And when I wrote about this, we wrote about this in the summer, um, some of the big mistakes we had made. And I said, you know, Joe Varner, one of our great writers who writes about defense, came to us in November. So more than a year ago saying, hey guys, this is very serious and you should expect an invasion of Ukraine uh, sometime soon. And, you know, we ran that piece. I didn't think too much of it. I have, based on my history of, you know, coming of age around the Iraq war, I'm very skeptical of these sort of big claims about, you know, aggression or weapons or that kind of thing. And I didn't really take it seriously. And I didn't take it seriously until literally the Russians were coming across the border. Um, and I think the, by the end of my piece, I'd kind of made the point that I, I understand that I was wrong, but I expect that I'll continue to be wrong about these things because when it comes to foreign policy, I really think humility and prudence is important. Um, but <laughs> there's just no question that I, I couldn't have been more wrong on what happened earlier this year in Ukraine. Yeah, I'll join you um, in getting that one wrong too. My big kind of forecasting stake was thinking that Donald Trump was uh, this unstoppable political force. If I go back and I kind of reset my mind to last spring, 
it was amazing the extent to which I felt that and despaired that this person could be, in a sense, stopped from being a front runner in the Republican nomination race for uh, presidency, that in fact, he couldn't uh, going up against, at that time, a, a Joe Biden, you know, exploring new lows in presidential approval ratings, that he couldn't, you know, end up as president of the United States again in 2024. And flash forward to the end of this year, this has been a very bad, bad 12 months for Donald Trump. Um, it's not just the criminal charges. It's uh, just the failure of his candidates uh, really across the continental United States in terms of the midterms. It's the extent to which his own behavior has become even more erratic and reprehensible. So I'm surprised, but also very deeply gratified that we're ending 2022 with a lot of promising signs that Donald Trump is a spent political force and hopefully will not be a determining factor in uh, the next big election cycle uh, in the US. Guys, that is our raft of uh, Mia Copas and um, insights for 2022. It's been a pleasure just personally doing this podcast uh, with you each and every Friday, and uh, we've got one more show that we're going to squeeze in at the end of the year on the 30th. We're going to look ahead to 2023, make some really rank predictions that we can go back <laughs> and uh, hoist ourselves by our own petards on uh, in 12 months' time. But uh, Stuart, Sean, be well, uh, be safe. Amal Otter Guzman, our producers, off to a well deserved vacation somewhere sunny in the south. So, Amal, enjoy that. Um, Aiden Moskovich will step into the editor's suite here at the Hub podcast operation and get us that final show of 2022 in your inbox and on your app, your favorite app, next Friday, the 30th. We'll talk to you then. Happy holidays, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Friday Roundtable edition of the Hub Dialogues. I'm Roger Griffiths, the executive director of the Hub. I've been in conversation with Sean Spear, our editor-at-large, and Stuart Thompson, the Hub's editor-in-chief. This program is produced and edited by Amal Otter Guzman. You can access a video version of this recording anytime on YouTube. Simply search for The Hub or The Hub Canada. You can also get video and audio versions on our website at www.thehub.ca. And finally, you can subscribe to The Hub's podcast feed on virtually any audio platform. We've got all kinds of terrific conversations featuring some of the world's sharpest minds and brightest thinkers discussing the big issues and ideas transforming our world. That's The Hub Dialogues, and it's waiting for you right now on your favorite podcast platform. Thank you for listening to this edition of The Hub Roundtable. The Hub's podcasts are generously supported by the Ira Gluskin and Maxine Granovsky Gluskin Charitable Foundation. Thanks for listening.